0: Welcome to Expert Instruction, Episode 4, I'm Megan Cave. Today we're continuing our conversation around culturally responsive practices in your PBIS implementation. And I'm going to be honest with you guys here, I'm real new to this topic we're diving into. It's big, it's sometimes a little overwhelming, but it's really critical to the work that we're doing to make schools more effective for all of our students. When your school is culturally responsive, all students are held to high expectations. You use their values, you embed their experiences, their languages and beliefs to enhance their learning. In a culturally responsive school, everyone has access to the resources they need and the effective instruction that they deserve. So I've been thinking a lot lately about what it was like for me when I was in school and I mean, my teachers, they looked like my parents and the expectations that they had for me, they all felt really familiar. The books that we were reading, they were all written in my native language. The characters, they often looked like me. It never occurred to me when I was in school that any of my achievement had anything to do with the fact that my school reflected and I mean, honestly, sometimes centered my Western white culture. My school's culture was never an obstacle that I had to overcome. So I could just show up and just be focused on learning. And what I'm only recently starting to understand is that my experience is not the experience that so many students have in their classrooms today. The work of culturally responsive practices then is to expand the traditional school culture to be inclusive of the diversity of experiences that your students bring with them to school every day and to see those experiences as assets to build on and not deficits that you need to discipline. Our guest with us today is Athena Vernon. She's a member of the desert mountain self of prevention and intervention team. She's a lead specialist over there with more than 15 years of experience in the K 12 setting. She's managed multiple expanded learning programs and facilitated professional development trainings as a prevention and intervention lead specialist. She works as an advisor to K 12 trainers, coaches and districts that are implementing PBIS. She networks with local community, state, and federal agencies to identify additional resources and support for students, school staff, and families. And before any of that, she's a mom of two, and she takes that role with her whenever she goes to work with schools. Hey, Athena, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Megan. Hi, I'm glad to have you here. Thanks, I'm glad to be here yeah so today we're talking about culturally responsive practices specifically within PBIS implementation so you've been working with schools implementing PBIS for how long now 15 years you said
1: yes so 15 years and at the time at the beginning of that I didn't even know we were implementing PBIS (laughs) I just know that what we were doing was working I came to find out later that it was PBIS that we were using
0: yeah, right. I think that's kind of a similar, it's a similar experience for a lot of people. Yes. Um, have your schools, have you noticed that schools have, have they always had a part, culturally responsive practices as part of their implementation, or is this a new thing that you're seeing schools more focused on lately?
1: I think the term is new, uh, okay. to be honest. I do. I think mm-hmm. the term is new. We've, we've given it a name, but I think the activities, the conversations, the things that you're looking for um, when you're focusing on cultural responsiveness, those things have been there. I don't know that they've always been consistent, if that makes sense.
0: Sure, sure, I think so. Yeah. Um, so in your, when you do this training for, with folks, something that you, um, I know that you include is a discussion around the difference between school culture and climate. Could you take a little bit of time to tell us a little bit about that difference and why that's important to distinguish?
1: Sure, so um, about four years ago or so, when I really started looking into the term, you know, cultural responsiveness, mm-hmm. I did a little research and one of the things that I kept coming back to were, the, were these two terms that were being used, you know, interchangeably. Yeah. So we did some work, you know, looking them up and what we came up, you know, what we found was that culture really was identified um, as the personality, you know, of the school. So those unwritten rules, those social norms of the school, that was the culture. And the climate was more so the attitude or the mood of the school. Mm. And so, you know, they both connect in great ways, but there is a distinction when you're looking at a situation and trying to assess what's going on. It's good to know whether one is the way it's always been, or is this a new temporary thing or a trend that we're dealing with that we need to respond to more quickly or, you know, embrace it.
0: So culture is something that would align more closely with the way that things have always been and climate is something that's just sort of coming up now.
1: Definitely, or um, another point we make in the training uh, to drive the point even further is like, you know, uh, that technical or adaptive change. You know, there's going to be one that can happen a little bit quicker and one that's gonna take a little bit more time and you're really gonna have to drive home a point to a, a, a large group of people probably even touch their hearts a little bit in order to make some mm-hmm. change. So there's definitely a difference between the two.
0: So which one is the is it that you're talking about? You have to touch their you have to get them to really have a shift an emotional shift. Is that the culture? It of is the that's, school?
1: The, that's the culture. It, it's going to mm-hmm. take a little bit longer. You know that's what makes or breaks that new uh, intervention or initiative you know, that'll be whether it survives or not, is how people really feel underneath about it, and whether they're going to try to make it work.
0: Yeah, I think when I was, uh, when you had mentioned the difference in the terms, something that um, came to my mind was like trying to figure out, how do you know what your culture is? You know, I think with school climate, I think you can talk to people. It's sort of the way, is it like the way that it feels, you know, how you feel when you're in the building is the climate of the school. So it kind of seems like you could talk to people and ask them, how does this feel? We have a survey, it's called the School Climate Survey where you can just ask people questions and kind of get a gauge on like, how do you feel when you're in the building? Is it working for you? But how do you even get at like, what is your school's culture?
1: So we use a lot of third points, I'll be honest, in the training because we don't want to give a sense of our opinions, you know, on others. And so my training partner, Angie, she'll give an example um, for culture and climate. You know, the, the shooting that took place at Stoneman Douglas in uh, Parkland. So, mm-hmm. you know, that was a horrible thing that happened to them. And they, they went through a climate of, you know, fear. Um, and mm-hmm. many other feelings at that time, but the response they gave, that was their culture. you know that's who those kids were, that's who that campus was, the way they brought attention to um, you know gun safety and a school safety and all of those things to make sure that we don't have to live with that, you know forever. That was the way they responded. So in most cases, your culture is going to be how you respond, you know in a situation. A climate gotcha. can be temporary,
0: yeah. It also seems like they can kind of work together that a school's, clim- or a school's culture actually impacts the climate of the building sometimes. Can you talk maybe about how they might work together that
1: way? It does. And, and a more um, light example that we give <laughs> is that, that movie, Fifty First Dates. So, you know, Adam Sandler, what did he have to do? He had to relive that moment for Drew Barrymore over and over and over again until eventually that just became the way that they live. Mm -hmm. and she remembered and that's the same thing in your climate you can adapt and implement new things and if you keep consistent and you do it over and over eventually that can also become part of your culture you just look up one day and that's the way you be you know on campus
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so if we're talking
0: about so i kind of want to go back to this idea though of trying to understand what is your culture because it was like i was saying earlier that when i was in school everything kind of looked like me and the things that I grew up around, right. right? As this like white kid growing up in Oregon. And so if I think about the culture of my school now from, you know, years later, I won't say how many years later, but years later, well, I'm looking back at it going, well, of course it worked for me. And it was never something that like factored in, I could just show up, I could learn, I could ask my questions the way that I would typically answer ask questions in my own home right. and I could find success in school. So how do we fi- start to like talk about what is our culture here as a building? And what are the, like, is it the values? Is it the ex- school-wide expectations? Like what is it that
1: sets the culture of your school? I think it's all of those things. And um, I appreciate that you brought up the school climate survey, you know, that we're mm-hmm. trying to get feedback and we wanna know what kids are feeling and and, Other surveys, we're trying to figure out what staff is feeling and families feeling. I do believe, though, if you're going to use the data to make a statement for you, Mm -hmm. those real life conversations that you have with kids and parents and staff, that's going to be the tone that sits right up under that statement you make with your data. So going in and talking to kids on a regular basis, letting them talk to each other and listening to what they're saying to each other. Mm -hmm. The same with parents, inviting them into your teams and getting their feedback, getting staff feedback, you know, on a real personal level, sometimes that'll be how you make the disconnect and figure out or see what the disconnect is and figure out what's actually going on in your campus. There has to be a safe space for that, though. You've got to get a really safe space for that to happen. And people to feel like if I tell you what's really on my mind, I'm not going to be you know punished for it or looked at different you know differently for it and that's mm-hmm. a tough thing to do but it's super important super important
0: yeah it's kind of like you have to i would imagine that you if you're going to ask students to come in and talk to you about like what's really working and not working for them that you kind of have to let them know like I, i'm i may be your teacher right But like right now, I really want us to just talk about like how is this working for you because it's it's working or it's not working for me and I really want to know how that's working for you. Are there like there have to be ways that school you've seen schools do that successfully. Um, Can you talk a little bit
1: about that. So we do have. Um, a few examples. I know that activities that we share are really about trying to create some common ground between the kids themselves and, you know, and their uh, teachers. Sure. So we always remind ourselves that kids don't learn, you know, from a teacher that they don't like. Well, we don't want to start the year off, you know, with that in mind. You want to start it off with ways that you guys can have some common ground. And so, um, talking to each other, we encourage circles a lot, ways that they can give some feedback. And in the beginning, there won't be any trust. So you have to build that. One yeah. activity um, a colleague of mine shares is, you know, just a plain paper bag and writing down something that you went through and dropping it in there. You put mm-hmm. the bag in the corner of the room. And then at the end of the week, you go through and take a piece out and read it. So kids can see that they have some things in common with their classmates. And then by the end of the year, hopefully, you can just say those things out loud. You know, you don't need the paper yeah. bag. And the point that we try to make and why that's so important, because it takes you from, you know, walking by a classmate's desk and accidentally knocking a book off and now being, you know, in a confrontation to picking the book up and saying, my bad, because I know yeah. you a little bit better. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so those things are super important. There's so many different ways you can do it, but the more you can generate honest conversation, the better.
0: Yeah. Um, So I'm starting to kind of move a little bit away from like talking about this to trying to come up with some strategies, right? And so some of the things that I think about, um, just that I've looked at with research, some of the articles that we focused on recently are really trying to define, problem behaviors or misbehaviors in a school in a way that is really concrete, right? And there are always going to be, there are always these subjective behaviors like defiance, disrespect, this kind of thing. And specifically, I think about like the school-wide expectations that we set in schools and how those might actually like the, the behaviors, the acceptable behaviors that we think that we tie to those Um, expectations may actually be a mismatch for students in the building where I am expecting you to sit quietly in your desk and to raise your hands if you have a question. Where in your home, if you have a question, you just ask the question or Moving around and showing excitement about something that you're learning is also an acceptable behavior. So are there are there some school wide expectations that you see that could be a little bit that could trip some folks up more than others specifically in my mind. I'm thinking of the term respectful. Mm -hmm. Um, And how do you start to incorporate some of these some of our students experiences their cultures into not saying that like what they're doing is wrong, but trying to actually embrace some of their behaviors as culturally acceptable in our school too.
1: So one of the things that we do um, is we, we first start with the adults. We don't even go to the kids yet. We start with the adults. And the way we do that in the training is we use um, one of the activities in the cultural responsiveness field guide, the mm-hmm. staff elements of culture. And so we have, staff look at things that they used to do you know when they were younger and how their values have changed and then what their values are now and the one that uh, we love to bring up is dress code of course because teachers don't dress today the way they did you know 30 40 years ago and if we told them they had to start dressing that way I think we'd see some behaviors (laughs) you know in the in the group and so once we kind of take them from that place to now what do you see today you know with your students if you told them to be respectful and their idea of being respectful is totally different than yours then what do you do you know what do Mm -hmm. you do and so again we go back to talk to your kids help them let them help you understand what the difference is write it down point out the rules on the campus or expectations that they have an issue with or don't understand and tell them to use their own words, you know, when they explain it and then embrace some of that language, you know, talk the way they do to to as much extent as you can. Mm -hmm. Um, And let that be the way that you you naturally talk to each other. If not, there's always going to be a disconnect between the work you're doing coming up with those words, you know, those expectations and what you're actually seeing students do
0: hmm. Can you give an example of something that you saw that was really effective as a team. So you talked about dress code, maybe that the example is within that but anything where you saw like a light bulb go off for staff being like, Oh, we've been saying that this is something that they get written up for and really, it's yeah. really, it's fine.
1: Food, I'll be honest, one of the first ones was food, you know, sharing food. Can we share food on a school campus most often? No. You can't, there's allergies and there's all these policies that schools have to take very seriously about sharing food. And so, you know, a a lot of what you'll see during lunchtime is making sure that that's not happening. Well, most kids when they're at home, you don't waste food. You know, you don't, if you want what's left over on your sister's plate, go for it, it. (laughs) you don't waste food. Exactly. And so, you know, if that's a, a matter of being responsible is not to share food. Then you can kind of see how there's some conflict there yeah. already because when i go home that's not the case and so that's mm-hmm. a light bulb moment for some teachers and then they can put themselves in families' shoes you know empathize with yeah. how kids can have some conflict there mm-hmm. that's interesting i hadn't actually thought about food i've been thinking
0: too recently my kids have been on their zoom classes and one of them is allowed to have food um while they're in class and on camera and the other one is not and it's been interesting to watch them both navigate that and to see other kids try and navigate it too um yeah I can see how that might be just a mismatch too the whole thing about kids being in in their homes right doing schools and held to school-wide expectations in their homes is like a a totally it's got to be confusing for people
1: oh if it wasn't already you know confusing if we weren't already trying to teach kids a second set of rules right Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. we we use that that clip from Rita Pearson all the time you know a second set of rules this is just completely out of the box what do you do you're literally in someone's home trying Mm -hmm. to teach their kid you know their lesson for the day and so when you say things like be quiet or I need your attention, or I'm, I'm speaking, you could see how a mom or a dad in the background or grandma, whoever is like, you're <laughs> in my house. You know, we use that, we use that example. Mm-hmm. And so it's gotta be a tough time, you know, for all parties involved, but even more so a reason to encourage conversation, to make sure yes. we're, giving our, our, we're all giving each other grace. Yeah,
0: yeah. So how is it so I know in the in the um, culturally responsive field guide, they have a, a matrix up and they there's some work that can happen around taking your school wide behavior matrix or even your classroom one and embedding some culturally responsive practices or making it making the matrix itself, yes reflect the cultures that are that exist in your building so what are some things that schools can start to do if they've got their matrix in front of them and they're like how do i what do i do where do they start
1: i'd say print it out and give the kids a red pin let them be the ones that mark things up you know this time mm-hmm. have them talk to each other about what the things on that matrix mean and then sit back and listen i wouldn't even expect them to talk to me you know as the teacher I would say you guys go for it talk about this come up with how you want to share out as a group even and then i'm just going to sit and listen and then that way they don't feel intimidated you know talking to the teacher about why this rule doesn't make any sense and why can't we say it like this they're talking to each other and then they're sharing i think there's a little bit more confidence in that um, for kids they're a little bit more willing to share and it gives the adults some time, really, to sit back and listen to what's going on in their kids' minds. You know.
0: Mm-hmm. So how do you engage though, as a, as a grown up? You
1: don't. You're saying like, let the kids talk. And I would then listen. Yeah, I would listen first. Take I mean, some notes. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And then I would clarify. You know, at the end, I would clarify. This is what I heard you say. And what can we do about that? You know, let them have a hand in coming up with what should happen next. Usually kids are much tougher on themselves than the adults are. And you can guide that conversation, of course. And then when things go wrong, you know, the way we didn't want them to go, we can remind them, you all helped me come up with this. You know, Mm -hmm. you had a hand in what this was going to look like. That's what I meant by, I think I was doing some things you know, to support PBIS before I even realized what it was. Um, my, my colleague and I, who, who trains this with me, we worked together and that was mandatory in the beginning of the year it was a blank matrix activity. And every we, year. Every year, every year it was a expanded learning program and we did a blank matrix. They had to come up with how we're going to be respectful, responsible, safe. And you tell us what that looks like. And of course we got negative, you know, we got some negative language and we would say, okay, show me what that looks like. If you're not talking or not running, what mm-hmm. am I seeing? And mm-hmm. then we would say, now what happens if we don't see that? What, what should happen next for all of you, for all of mm-hmm. you? And as soon as we didn't see it, it was help me understand. You know, you guys said you could do this. You told me what to do next. How'd we get here? And most times we can pull them back together and they turned it around and fixed it because they had a hand in creating it.
0: There's ownership in, in the whole system from the kids that they say, oh yeah, this is a thing that we agreed to. Exactly. So interesting. The other thing that I've been thinking on, Athena, is that I think about, I just think about here in Oregon, I think about our schools here and there's a lot of white people here in Oregon And um, the number of students of color in schools, depending on where you are, um, could be pretty small. And so I'm wondering, how do we make our schools culturally responsive when we're talking about um, a handful of students and trying trying to show, share with the majority of students that this matters, like doing things differently might feel uncomfortable for you but it's okay and we're trying to do we're trying to be supportive of all of our students not just you all you know and so I can imagine that there would be some difficult conversations some resistance from teams from educators in some places for how to get started to do this work to even understand why it's important right how do you help people in those moments and maybe share a little bit about like why this work is important to you
1: So that's hard to do. I'll be honest. And you always have that, you know, like a pit in your stomach when you walk in and you're going to talk to a team about, you know, something that they noticed in their data. They don't even want to say it out loud and they call Mm -hmm. in for help with, you know, how do we respond to this? And there's that moment where you feel like, you know, most folks in the room Look at you like you're looking at them as if they're just a little bit racist. I'll be honest, you know, yeah. I'm really trying to get past that moment where yeah. I'm not pointing a finger at you. I really want to help you, you know, with this. But yeah. Got to talk about it and not feel embarrassed or, you know, like we can't have this conversation. So what we try to do, and I think I mentioned it was we use a, we use a third point a lot, you know, we'll play more game about game. what that is. So we'll use a video clip. I'll I'll give okay. you an example. Um, we walk through the three processes that you know um, uh, encourage or not encourage, but basically walk you through implicit bias, you know, and how that happens. And so one of them is assumptions, of course. And so mm-hmm. one of the clips that we'll play is that classic scene from The Fresh Prince of Bel Air, where I think Will's just you know he's just acting as himself during Mm -hmm. a really important dinner and after you know Uncle Phil's telling him what why'd you do that you know you set out specifically to embarrass me. And Mm -hmm. so he's basically made some assumptions about will you know he's new to living with them and will did the exact same thing. And so it ends with will I don't know if you if you know the scene but it ends with him playing for Elise on the piano really well, you know. And they both have this moment of I didn't realize, you know, I I made this assumption about you. Those are great moments to start conversation with people. Mm -hmm. um, Get them to be super honest, given you know, an experience of their own. And then we lead into how might that affect now how you respond on your campus. Those vulnerable decision points. I know we've talked to um, teams a lot about that. In a hot moment, you're going to respond the way your culture you know, the Mm -hmm. way you're going to respond. And so it does open it up for dialogue and then we can get past that weirdness and then have some conversation. It lets folks guard down. This is not an attack. It's not just your school site or your district. And then we can do some work, you know, after that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I do think that, um, that sharing some data with folks too, so that it isn't, you don't necessarily start from a super personal place but you do see that there's something going on in our building that needs to be addressed and exactly. then jumping into that personal reflection yeah it can be real awkward it can be it real can, awkward it to like try and jump into these conversations and it's uncomfortable but i i agree that like getting it started is the is oftentimes the hardest part and then once you're in it everyone's committed to everyone wants their school to work. They all want students to be engaged in learning. They all want everybody to be successful. Right. Um, and if everybody's working toward a common goal like that, I think it can be, it can be okay you know, and to you have, have those conversations.
1: And you hit it on the head, Megan. So sometimes you know, we'll find ourselves going into the data, looking for something specific and missing a bunch of other things along the way. Mm -hmm. and then we find the thing that we were looking for Mm. and we go back and try to fix it you know so Mm -hmm. if this isn't happening for black kids on our campus let's make sure it happens but then you find yourself in a position where you're doing this thing for the black kids on campus yeah and then we're back in that same spot so do that thing for all kids you know on campus Mm -hmm. make that just a consistent Thing that you do across the board, they're there, they're going to get that, you know, just like everybody else will. And then keep moving in that direction. You see something, you do something for everybody.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. That's, the, that's the heart of school-wide, right? Like it's everybody. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh. So what have we not, what have we missed? What are the parts, what is, are there any other important parts to, to bring up for this part, listen, I have to tell you, I started looking into this work and it's like one of these nested eggs or like a like an onion. You just, there's always something that's like, oh, now it's over here, Oh now there's more. So I get it, there's a whole lot more and we're hopefully gonna be able to get into that in the next few months um, as we um, have some more conversations with people and, and dig a little deeper into the research. But as far as this goes, as far as like identifying your school's culture and trying to embed um, some um, some culturally responsive practices into your matrix and your systems. Is there more to say that you want to share?
1: I mean, I will say over and over again, so I'm blue in the face to talk to your kids and talk to your families and talk yes. to your staff. And then be prepared to listen intently um, and, and with empathy. But Other than that, I I think that um, we really have to push ourselves. Like you said, you've been doing the research. I would just ask, you know, everybody, if you're going to do the research, push yourself to look for information that doesn't just validate what you already believe, but that challenges those beliefs sometimes, you know, be Mm -hmm. open to the thing that pushes back on what you believe you already know. Because guaranteed you're gonna be in a situation where you have to make a decision either for or with somebody who has that belief. And it'll be much easier for you to work together and come to some kind of common ground and a good outcome for kids if you can just take a minute to push back on your own beliefs sometimes. it's It makes a world of difference.
0: I agree, I agree. There've been many points in this process for me where I've, been, I've had to like notice the discomfort I feel at someone's suggestion um, for how to do something. It sits in counter to something that I would normally do or um, a practice that I would normally see. And just sitting in that discomfort has been a little revolutionary for me and just understanding that like that moment of being uncomfortable has to be seen as a lens into, how some students in our buildings are also uncomfortable when they walk into our buildings that we have set up to be, to work for us.
1: Yep, definitely, definitely. I really
0: appreciate you being here. Where can folks
1: go to check out the work that you and your colleagues are doing down there? Oh, so that is fun. So if you go to cahelp.org forward slash PBIS, you'll go straight to our prevention and intervention team page. We have all our upcoming trainings. You'll see who's on our team. Um, We've got some really great resources we put together for uh, responding to COVID-19, PBS plugged in, parents plugged in, Um, great resources on there. And then just our organization as a whole, cahelp.org. You can go on there for any upcoming professional development and the work that our whole organization does. I really am grateful um, to be part of it and the team that I work with most directly great group of folks especially now during all of this unsettled business that we have going on Um, you know they push themselves to do things differently and to uh, be open to things that they weren't open to before and that is I'm grateful I'm, I'm really grateful.
0: Thank you so much for joining us and agreeing to be part of this podcast it's been great talking with you.
1: You too Megan.